0: Welcome to the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This podcast is a reflection of Sharon's very clear and profound vision of the heart-mind path. If you are interested in supporting Sharon's podcast, please go to Network.com slash Sharon.
1: Hello. <laughs> this is better anyway. <laughs> How many of you believe in Mercury in retrograde? Do you know what that
2: is?
1: (laughs) So it's an astrological configuration where things don't work. So Mercury is not in retrograde, but I keep saying I'm having my own personal Mercury in retrograde, which included – I mean, it's not bad. I mean, I've been on many flights, and they've all landed, and I'm, like, really happy, but it included – Going uh, to the airport to get a flight to California and standing online to board. And the guy uh, working for the airline, who was really sweet, saying, oh, you should all sit down because this plane hasn't been cleaned. So half an hour later, I see everyone standing up. So I go to board and a woman makes an announcement. The bathroom's not working on this plane. Use, use the bathroom in the airport. And I thought, this is like New York to California. That's <laughs> like yeah. a long flight. Then they announce, "Oh, the bathrooms have been fixed. No problem." We get on the plane and we go out, and they say, "Well, the engine's not working." So, I mean, it was just, it's just—it's sort of like that. So, it's me, really. It's not the JCC and the quality of its equipment, <laughs> but I am so happy to be here, even though I'm under inauspicious stars. It seems uh, mechanically, it's really—it's such a huge delight. Um, I just saw these guys in California. Yeah and uh we will be teaching this retreat together and it's I've, i have a friend coming to the retreat and i wanted to introduce him more to their work so i i've been on their website looking at, at videos and sending him videos and so i feel like i've really even immersed in i've done like an intensive with the holistic life foundation <laughs> recently. It's, it's really great. And uh, there are a number of things I want to talk to you about. I don't know if you want to talk about your work in general, but I actually want to thank you for your work, which is um, getting stuff done. And, and as I was sitting here, this story that had nothing to do with you came up in my mind about this time at the retreat center I co-founded, the Insight Meditation Society in, in uh, Barry, Massachusetts. Years and years ago, we had this really sweet Sri Lankan monk visiting And uh, he happened to be around the area of the kitchen when these two staff members, two people who worked in the kitchen, got into an argument because somebody had left these dirty dishes in the sink. And one was saying to the other, well, it's your responsibility. You clean them. And they said, no, I didn't leave them. You clean them. And they were just kind of going back and forth. And as they were arguing, the Sri Lankan monk went off to the sink and cleaned the dishes. (laughs) And then they were done. It's like he just got it done. Uh, And that actually came up in my mind thinking of, of you all uh, sitting here right now. So I don't know if you want to start by talking about your work, how you started. And I have, have some specific things I want to ask a little later on. Okay.
2: Good. 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 Ali, go ahead. You usually start the story.
3: Um, how far? Um, so good <laughs> evening, everybody. Um, I guess uh, the Holistic Life Foundation – um our focus has always been on yoga and mindfulness um meditation breath work um Amin and i grew up um meditators as little kids our parents were into the practice so it was just something that was kind of around um pictures of at ashram pictures of ashram's yoga retreat centers and yoga studios um i guess atman was being carried and i was just learning to walk uh so it was just something that was around uh friend school in baltimore uh, mindfulness practice with uh, meeting for worship and the the pause before you do everything, the stopping for a moment of silence. So it was just uh, our parents put us in all these behavior shaping ins- institutions that kind of pushed us in that direction. Uh, even the church we grew up in was a self-realization fellowship church. So church started with a meditation every day. There were incense burning, and there was like a, the guy that uh, that ran the uh, the services was all about showing the unity in all religions and and the deep spiritual truths that were the same across pretty much every religion and spiritual practice. Um, we, uh, I don't know, we, we, it was just something that I guess as little kids, we kind of hid and took for granted. Like we didn't want our friends to really know that we were sitting around meditating. It's not as cool. It wasn't as cool then as it is now, back then,
4: I mean... Yeah, and we're, like, from uh, the neighborhood, like, the epicenter where all the Freddie Gray uprising happened, Uh, so, like, you know, real underserved communities, so, like, kids, you know, they have fun with each other and make fun of each other, so we didn't want to give the kids any more ammunition. Like Ali said back in the day, you know, yoga and meditation wasn't popular, and then we were also vegan on top of that, so, like, we'd be outside, I'd I'd be eating uh, hot dogs out of a can, and soybean hot dogs, and... It was horrible, (laughs) but I thank him for it now. I thank him for it
3: now. Yeah. And, um, like we, I mean, I I think we joked around about our practice. Our dad would make us meditate every morning before school. And I think half of our time was spent actually meditating and half of it was trying to get the other person to make a noise or laugh to get him in trouble. So it's just like that delicate balance between knowing what the practice was and being like a six or seven year old, just still trying to have fun. And, um, I mean, obviously it's stuck. I mean, it's something that kind of stuck with us. Uh, we started, um, I don't know, I guess we got out of our practice as as our, once our parents got divorced, because each of them was holding a household. I mean, when there's two parents in a house, one person can focus on one thing, the other person can focus on the other, but then it was just two separate households, everybody kind of holding court in their own home, and uh, our practice kind of faded away. Um, we still have friends. We still went to church every once in a while, but our daily meditation practice kind of, Fell by the wayside, and um, we met Andy in college at a time, and uh, I guess at the time we were all asking a lot of questions. Uh, we were finishing up with college, and uh, things didn't seem to make sense to us, uh, just, and none of the answers we were finding in our classes were really kind of satisfying our thirst for knowledge. It was just one of those things where it was like uh, we saw suffering, we saw things going wrong on the planet. I mean, in our small scope, we didn't see people caring or anybody doing anything about it. Um, and I mean this is just coming from college kids so I mean we didn't really have a the big view of the world or a, a bigger or as large a view of the world as we do now so it's just kind of like on a college campus you saw like your people protesting or your people signing petitions to do certain things or certain like activist groups but you didn't really see anybody actually doing anything so um, we decided to start reading. Um, we, we started going to all the small libraries on campus like the physics library and the chemistry library and the, any library we could find that wasn't like the main library. We all went to University of Maryland College Park and we got these books on like spirituality and ancient history and uh, astrology and astronomy and, and anything we could find that just was going to kind of give us some answers and um, we would share the passages we were reading and it was just kind of, I remember, and we would sit around and watch documentaries all the time. we watched watch documentaries and read. Like we were trying to search, we wanted to know what, like there was more going on that we felt but we didn't know how to get to it, or where, or what that something else was. We knew that there was something else going on, and um, it was one of those things where we uh, we it, we kind of went back to where we started. Uh, we our dad's best friend, uh, me and Otman's godfather. Some of those people that got into yoga in I think the late '60s and uh, never got out of it. it. Was just always practicing, but never had anyone to teach. Uh, we rolled up on actually. Otman saw some books on his altar, um, was flipping through them old school kundalini books and um he was just like uh we were big into like superheroes and star wars and very imaginative people still to this day and uh we um it was kind of like the books were showing these
4: meditations that could at the time, we thought it would turn into, like, a superhero. So we were, like... Uh, I still remember, like, opening up the book and, like, showing it to my uncle, like, man, yoga can do all this stuff? And he was like, yeah, man. Like, and the I guess the funniest thing
3: about it was he was always trying to introduce us to the practice, but we weren't really ready for it. I know, um, like, there were certain things that, that we reflected on that he had given to us to try to introduce us to earlier. Like, we would be at his house, like, drinking beer, watching football, and he'd be like, well, you guys know that um, when you drink, you dirty up your body. But there's a breathing exercise you can do to clean your body. And you just start doing the breath of fire. That breath. And we would be like, all right, this is weird. And we would leave. Yeah. And then, like, um, he g- I remember he gave uh, gave me a copy of this book, The Holy Science. And I remember the first time I read it, I put it down. And I was like, this book, book makes absolutely no sense to me. And it sat on top of my PlayStation for um, probably at least a year. And then I tried to pick it up again, and it made a little more sense. And, like, further along down the path, I read it, and I was like, wow, this book is genius. So just not ready for it. And then, like, the house that um, me and Atma grew up in, actually the house that me and Andy moved into after college. um, For a while, no one lived there, but it was just, like, the house that when we were home from college, we would go to pregame in before we went out with our friends. Like, we would go there, and, like, there's a stereo, there's a TV. And um, in between the living room where we would hang out with our friends and the the kitchen – There was, like, a a den, kind of, and there was a bookshelf. We must have walked past this bookshelf probably thousands of times and never really looked at it. But later on, when we were ready for it, we went up, we walked over, and we turned around and looked at this bookshelf, and it had every single book that we ever wanted to read about yoga and philosophy and spirituality. And it was just like sitting there. We're like, oh, we thought we'd hit the mother load.
4: It was, and at the time, like we uh, graduated from college and we were spending all of our money on books and camping equipment. But it was like you know a godsend that you know all those books were right there waiting for us. I remember how, how everyone kind of looked at us really funny because you, know, you graduate and
2: everyone wants to go to some tropical island like the Bahamas and Jamaica. And all our friends are like, where are you all going? We just graduated. And we're like... We're going to the bookstore to get a whole bunch of books. And we would, like, be, like, negotiating. Like, if I get this one, will you get that one? Deal, deal. Okay. So we'd just get all of them and then just pass them around to each other. Yeah, and then, I, I, like, we hit the mother load with
3: the bookshelf. We read. we Like, like it was the most amazing thing to us. Like, we were very – I mean, we're still pretty simple dudes. But back then, we were even – our life was even a lot more simple. So we would just – we would spend all of our time reading and practicing. Uh, we told – our we oh, so back to our teacher – um, we told him we were interested in learning two things he told us. One was we had to agree to be teachers cause he didn't want to be a teacher. He just wanted to learn. And he was like, you guys can teach for me. And the second thing was that, um, we had to show up at his house at 4am the next morning to go out to the park to practice. And 3:59 in the morning, we're knocking on the door. There's no lights on. He comes out and we start and we start up. We were kind of like, that was the beginning of our, our, our real deep journey into the practice. And, uh, we got into it and we kind of lived like monks for a while. Um, we were kind of we didn't really hang out with our friends. We spent all of our time reading and practicing and writing and like uh, just uh, talking about dreams. Yeah, you know, it was just one of those things that we were kind of like a being like our own hermitage. Like we were. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I totally missed that time. Um, <laughs> we would like uh, I know I, we would get up in the morning. We would each practice at four, or we would go with our teacher, and then we would kind of meet in the um, in our in me and Andy's living room like around sunrise, and we would talk about the dreams we had, books we were reading. Then we would go. Um, and I remember during that time, I, I just got my dog, a rescue dog from the neighborhood. And my thing with him was, we would walk to the park, and I would practice mantra while I was walking around the park the whole time. And then we would meet back up. And then we'd do like meditation and pranayam in the evening, and then we would do um, more reading. We'd go into we were I feel like we were going to bed pretty early back then. Like our friends kind of thought we were, they would come see us to check in on us, but I guess they thought we were kind of weird back then. We were just trying to just trying to figure out figure it all out, and then just kind of work on ourselves and then um Hmm? oh yeah oh this this is a great one uh so (laughs) during that time we weren't we weren't working at all we were just kind of working on ourselves and um it was funny like uh because we were dead broke at the time uh and our parents would help us out like our dad was he knew we were trying to start something and trying to figure some things out so he was taking care of the bills for us our mom would like drop off like a care package of food every once in a while and it was like um we would go to Whole Foods every Tuesday. Like, that was our highlight, because that was, like, the sample day. So we would go, and um, we get It, it, it turned, We made friends with the people that were the servers there. So, like, by, like, week seven or something, like, they would just give us, like, a full plate and, like, a full cup of juice. And we would, like, go around and talk to them, and they were interested in what we were doing. Um, so... Yeah, so we were deeply into our practice, and I feel like the thing that made us want to start the Holistic Life Foundation were two things. One, when me and Otman grew up in the neighborhood, it was a sense of family. Um, it was a beautiful place to grow up. I mean, we spent just as much time as our friends' houses that we did as our own. Uh, There's like kind of a built-in mentoring system where the older guys in the neighborhood, even though they may not have been doing the most positive or legal things all the time, they were still there for us, and like they were still trying to push us in the right direction because they didn't want us to do what they were doing. And then on top of that, it was kind of like they uh, – I mean, I guess to this day, we still go and we we seek counsel with them. We sit with them. We, we get knowledge from them. Like, they, they have a lot to share with us. Um, and I guess the second thing was the fact that um, – I don't know. We As we got into our practice, we started to feel really good to the point where um, people – our friends and family members and everyone around us asked, why are you guys always so happy? Why are you guys always so happy? And our thing was like, well, why are you not happy all the time? Like, there's something wrong with you, not us. And then so we decided that, like, when we walk out of our door, we could feel, like, the pain and the suffering of all these people around us, particularly in our neighborhood, because that's where we were most of the time. And then it was just like, all right, well, we got to share this practice with other people. Like, we'd be selfish to keep it to ourselves, and we got to keep the promise to our teacher. So Holistic Life Foundation got started, and then we kind of rolled from there.
2: Yeah, so just so we'll do a quick overview of some of our programs so you get an idea of what it is that we do do, and then we'll keep asking questions, and you have any questions you all have, too. Um, So we um, started with the first group of kids. It's 20, like, fifth-grade boys. They were the problem kids in the school. They wanted us to be uh, football coaches for them. And we didn't think that was a great idea to take the problem kids and get them to bash into each other. We thought maybe, hey, you know, we're feeling great. The yoga's changing us. Like Ali said, we walk out our neighborhood and we're seeing through different eyes, seeing the world differently, and hearing through different ears. Just, it's just a different place, you know. And we're like, well, can we introduce them to these yoga techniques that you know have transformed us? Because we saw what it did to us. They were a little doubtful, skeptical, of course, um, but they basically were like, who cares? So long as you take these twenty kids off our hands, we don't care what you do with them. Um, and we would pick like half of them up at at attention, um, a few weeks keep passing by and less kids are at detention, less kids are at detention. And, and, and like the teachers and the parents and the staff, they don't really know what we're doing. They kind of got us in like this hidden room downstairs in the, in, in the, in the basement of the school. Cause this was
4: like 15 years ago when yoga and mindfulness and all this stuff wasn't as popular as yeah. it is now. Particularly not in Baltimore. Though. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so it's funny. They would be, they, they basically would say, look, we don't know what you're doing
2: and we don't really care what you guys are doing, but can you just keep doing it? Because they could see the difference in the kids and they saw the transformation happen. Um, we stuck with those kids. They all graduated in the fifth grade. They all went throughout the school, and that's when we started picking them up on uh, all different neighborhoods. We got cars. We looked like clown cars. We pick up, like, 15 kids at times, so it feel like 15 kids all in our backseat,
4: just piled into each other. We take them to a central location at the YMCA. The police would stop us sometimes, just like, man, what are you all doing with all those kids in the car? And they eventually let us go when we told them that we're teaching them yoga. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, it got great. It just kept expanding
2: and expanding. Um, you'd pick up one kid and you'd have another kid next to him and he'd be like, I'm coming with you today. And I'm like, well, who are you? I can't take you. I'm, that's like kidnapping, isn't it? I can't just take you. And they'd just hand me the phone and be like, here, call my mom. She, it's fine. And they just let us grab new kids and just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, the program started with just those 20 kids. Now it's uh, up to 120 kids five days a week. Um it's uh, it's three to four hours now. We do a bunch of incentives. Again, similar stuff that Ali and Atma we were talking about with what they were offered when they were at Friends School, just these opportunities to have these enrichment activities to provide them with stuff that they wouldn't usually get to do. Um,
4: yeah, yeah I know. and living our, in, in our neighborhood, honestly, and uh, going to – we went to, uh, like Ali said, Friends, and then all of our friends in our neighborhood went to the local uh, public school. Uh, We saw the disparity in the educational system and the lack of opportunities there. So, like, we knew we took the initiative and, you know, bought all the things that kind of increased our scope to our community uh, school. And, you know, it's it's a federally funded program now for the next three years. So, you know, we're very proud of that. Honestly, what were you gonna say? Say Oh, no, I was gonna say our after-school program is something
3: like when we put it to when when we got all of our enrichment partners. Because, like, it was funny like looking at it now and back when we were doing it. Because that it was like. Just the three of us running around like after the 20 kids we shifted to, to the school and it was still the three of us. But we were working with maybe like 65, 70 kids with three people. But I mean, we were able to maintain and manage it. I mean, a lot of people look at us like we were crazy for doing it. But I mean, it was just something that we love doing and we were able to maintain and like build up our fifth graders to help us out. And, and it all worked out. But uh, and we didn't have any enrichment activities. We didn't really have any funding. But now with the way our enrichment activities are, it's like we always joke around and say that we want to go to our after-school programs. They've got, like, steel drumming. They've got, like, a T-shirt design class. They've got um, a STEM class. karate stuff. They've got dance. They've got basketball. They've got, uh, I know I'm missing some stuff. Oh, the Maryland Natural History Society that brings in animals for them to see and there's, like, gardening stuff. So it's just just to see the change and, uh... From
4: to see from the kids in our a, a, in our after school program, like uh they just bought some animals in uh this past Friday, and to see the kids in our neighborhood who were fidgety about dogs in the neighborhood putting like tarantulas on their arm and bearded dragons, like it really like made my put a smile on my uh, heart honestly,
2: yeah, and it's amazing because that first group of kids around half of them are our staff now, so it's been fifteen years since that, and uh that's kind of the way we work our programs our after school programs our training ground. We always say, y'all are welcome to come, come and, and visit and check it out. Um, you'll see like a little pre-K kid in there leading people through breathing exercises, sun salutations, the works. It's amazing because we get them started early. It's always that reciprocal teaching concept that we have where we're teaching the students to be teachers the same way that our teacher taught us as well. Um, we get highlighted a lot for that program. I think it's just because it's younger kids, they're in these underserved communities, and the pictures look cool. So I think that they highlight us for that type of stuff. Um, But we do basically all underserved communities, drug rehab centers, mental health facilities, homeless shelters, elderly homes, any population that doesn't usually have the opportunity to get these services and these practices. We like to go into those communities. Um, And that's where we really, really focused when we first began. Um, But again, we noticed – you know, Ali and Atman went to a private school and we noticed that all, a lot of these kids in these affluent communities are facing the same exact, exact issues and their stress is, if it's not equal, it might even be higher than some of the kids in some of these underserved communities. We like to always talk about the um, the concept of, you know, Johnny in the underserved community may not have a mother there because um, she's passed away or she's abusing drugs or she's locked up or she's just not there. So little Johnny in the underserved community doesn't get the love that he needs. But little Johnny in the affluent community household's the same thing his mother might be a ceo of a big company and she's traveling all the time and she's working all the time and she doesn't have time to give him that same love as well so he's not only missing that love, but he also has higher expectations too because they expect more out of him because he does come from a better family and doing all this type of stuff. So it's amazing when we go into those schools now and we use the same practices, the same concepts, the same techniques, how they just soak it up like sponges and they love it and you can see that they need it just as much as, as the underserved communities as well. So basically that's all we're doing. That's our goal is to go around and, um, and to continue to spread the love and, and, and the techniques and the practices. Um, we have other programs which... One is a mindful program. That's one in high school and elementary school. There's an alternative to suspension room in the school, so students can be sent, sent to that room if they're acting up or if they're fidgety or just not focusing. Instead of getting them suspended, you go and send them to our room. They do some breathing techniques. They do a meditation. They get a cup of tea, and they go back to their classroom. Um, last year at our elementary school, Ended up being that there were zero suspensions in the entire elementary school. And that's the elementary
4: school in the epicenter of the Freddie Gray uprising. You know? Yeah, it was funny because Ali was speaking to the principal
2: and the vice principal <laughs> on one day, and they get like a climate report. and uh, Which tells about like kids getting in the fight, suspended, you know, yeah, stuff all like their that. Da- data. And, he, and he's like, I see this is zero suspensions here. Like, did y'all fudge these numbers? You know, I know how principals do that sometimes, and they both start laughing. He's like, what are you laughing at? They're like, well, the reason we have zero suspensions is because y'all's mindful moment room. You know, anytime we even thought to suspend a kid, we just sent him over there, and the kid would come back and be
4: fine in the classroom. And to break down that program a little bit more, it's uh, the Mindful Moment program. Uh, the principals give us 15 minutes at the beginning of the day, 15 minutes at the end of the day for like a mindfulness practice where we do like a little bit of light breath work, a little bit of movement, um, and then a silent reflection. Since we're in schools, we can't say meditation, so we'll say silent reflection. Um, and then we also have four st- Four of our staff, who two of them are our former students, uh, staffing uh, the alternative to suspension room. Um, and then we also have a, an initiative called uh the mindful ambassadors uh where we 've taken ten uh, percent of the school population and kind of given them further uh instruction in yoga and mindfulness in hopes to uh you know saturate uh the school climate with it um, and it's that 's really been working um actually one of our um mindful ambassadors during testing time this past uh last year right last year uh in between, uh, two tests, uh, she, we have this one exercise. It's really good at getting rid of like, uh, test anxiety and ruminating thoughts and lingering thoughts and stuff like that. And she led her, her entire class, uh, in the exercise, like, look y'all, we need to refresh ourselves, you know, uh, get those thoughts out of our mind, get that test anxiety out of our mind. And yeah, so she led that, uh, exercise.
2: Um, and so basically that, I mean, that's, that's where we're at now. Um, we've, gone all over the nation we've done some international stuff in what germany austria scotland england might do new zealand maybe jamaica we'll see what's going on Thankfully.
4: um <laughs> oh out. and an- another program uh that uh, is really impactful that we do uh every year in madison wisconsin is a residency program uh where we like totally engulf ourselves in the school system for an entire week uh we go in there uh the first day we're there uh we meet with uh like a couple groups of students, um, like, well, actually the first day, the first day we meet all of the students in the uh, auditorium and basically tell them what we're going to do for the week, um, you know, go over why it's important to be breathing in and out through your nose, the science of the breath, uh, you know, a couple light movement exercises and uh, end off with a meditation. And then uh, for the second, third, and fourth day, uh, each of us breaks down and goes into uh, a classroom uh, where, uh, for that Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, um, we see every single student and we kind of teach them a chair routine, uh, where they can kind of, you know, kids get kind of fidgety. Uh, so we give them exercise. They can kind of get rid of that, um, get rid of that, that bent up energy. Um, also, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was, he,
2: Ali was making a joke. He said he loves when you talk about movement, how you always go like this.
4: all right so we go in there teach them movement teach them a couple breathing exercises uh the first day then the second day we go in there and uh us along with the student is leading the exercises and the thursday that third day uh the student is leading the exercises by themselves so once again it's sustainable practice and you know we train the teachers also we give them uh cue cards or prompt cards when to use them uh to help them out with like you know the classroom environment um And, yeah, we go out there every single year, and it's a very impactful program. It's been six
2: years now that we've done that program, and it's super cool. Like, you'll come back, and the last time we were there, it'll be a kid who's been there for two years, and I'll be like, it'll be the first day, and we'll always bring up somebody like, hey, who wants to lead us through the exercise? And I'll look, and I'm like, all right, so remember you're going to tell me, like, Andy, I got this, Andy. And I'm like, my bad, buddy. I didn't know you would remember. And he would just lead all the exercise. It's amazing. I remember the first year we did that, six years ago, I think that was one of the first times it really impacted us, what we were doing. It was like such a shock when we we're leaving. Like the kids were like crying and like asking us to sign like autographs and like their dollar bills and T-shirts. And we're like, "This is crazy!" Like we didn't. We felt like rock stars, you know. It was amazing. And and I think it was the then that we really realized that one of the things that we do for these kids and these populations is we're making compassion cool. We're making it cool to to help people and to be loving and to be giving, you know. And you don't have to be um we call them like the main things most kids you don't have to be a rapper or a movie star or an athlete to be cool you know you can that helping people is cool and at the end it's so cool at the end we're always like so y'all promise that you when you need when you see somebody you're gonna help them and the kids are like yeah and we're like nah nah we don't believe you do you promise and the whole school's like yeah we're gonna help people <laughs> it's so awesome it's so great yeah. so we've had we've lifelong friends there now and that's that's, I think that's enough uh how many schools are you in in baltimore uh, thir-
1: Thirteen now. It? No, it's two more. It's Fifteen. Now.
2: Fifteen now. Fifteen schools.
1: Working work. probably like, uh, working probably around five
3: thousand kids a week. Yeah. But it's not no. It's not the three of us. uh We have like yeah. no, no, no. Uh, So we um, we have a staff, a program staff of uh I guess somewhere around twenty right now. And uh, a lot of them are former students of ours or former volunteers that we trained up, and uh, they actually facilitate most of the programming in Baltimore, and uh, we're. We're in the office most of the time, supporting it and running. I mean, we got a nonprofit to run, so it takes a lot of work. But, uh, I mean, it's cool. We've kind of come – we're okay with it now. When it first happened, we were kind of pissed off, but we started to look at the fact that, okay, the three of us out there working, we serve at the most, say, 90 kids in a week, and now we're serving close to 5,000. So, I mean, obviously something's working. So we're we're kind of cool with that.
1: So I wanted to ask you a few things. You know, that's great. Thank you. Um one was about trauma uh because of the experience of so many of the kids and uh another thing i want to ask you which we'll get to is is love is cool but that's that's the own question let's start with trauma
3: um so in baltimore i know uh people have been talking about undiagnosed P- ptsd for a very 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 long time and um I think there were certain things that we saw that, like, from our neighborhood and the kids that we were dealing with and their families, and the fact that, remember um, when uh, the Gulf War, st- or um, I, guess, I guess this was when, when we were going to Afghanistan, when the war with Afghanistan started, they were sending the doctors to Baltimore to train at Baltimore Shock Trauma so they can get just to see all the gunshot wounds and all the things that were going on. And then it was like, wow, that's really what Baltimore is at this point. And um, I know there were things that we saw in our students that we weren't, I don't think we knew exactly what was going on when you, the kids have been through a lot like kids that would, um, when we, when it's time to sit and meditate, like they'd be laying on their back in the corpse pose, they'd be sitting there and some of the kids just couldn't close their eyes. I remember when we first started, we were like, well, come on, you got to close your eyes to meditate. But then once we started to think about it, it was like, well, no, there's a little more going on. Or like if you sit down and meditate next to a kid that wouldn't close their eyes, and then they sit, and then you're, you're next to meditate, and they hold your hand, and then they feel comfortable enough to close their eyes, or kids that couldn't take their shoes off, or kids that couldn't take their jackets off, just little things that we're starting to notice, and um, we started to work around, and I feel like the three of us kind of figured out ways to deal with, like, just in meditation, always doing guided meditations, and not giving kids the space for stuff to come up, like, just a lot of little things that we were doing that... Um, that we saw where the kids could get into the practice no matter what type of trauma they had dealt with at home or at school, wherever. And um, I think it just got to a point where, where once we started turning our programs over to our former students, like they weren't as, um, they didn't have the experience we had. So we saw a lot of things that they were trying to make the kids do that were kind of, weren't helping the kids at all. They were kind of doing harm with the, the good they were trying to do. So um, actually we brought down a, David Emerson from the Justice Resource Institute to do a training for our staff on what trauma was. So they knew exactly what was going on and with the kids. Cause like it was stuff that we could, we were kind of instinctive instinctively doing. Like it was just stuff that we saw a kid doing this, like, okay, well we know we need to do this with this student. And I guess we took, made a, a few too many assumptions with our new staff just thinking like, oh, well they'll see this too and they'll do it. But we wanted to kind of get them a little more formally trained and things have been, A lot better, particularly with the riots going on and, like, just day-to-day life in Baltimore. The kids, the parents, everybody's going through it. So we wanted to give our our staff first to know what trauma was and then the ways that they can do the practice and teach the practice by doing the least amount of harm to the kids and the families they were working with. Well done,
2: Ali. Well done. And do you have
1: anything to add? Any of you guys...
2: I know um, just one thing, just just so you get an idea of kind of what is going on in these neighborhoods, I think that, you know, so you can really see the trauma these kids are facing. I mean, I know sometimes we're aware of it and we're living amongst it, but just some of the stories that we have that would always be like mind-blowing to me. There's uh, one one time in particular I I remember um, there was a gentleman who was coming in and he was talking about gratitude. And um, he was just telling people, you know, the, how you know how you should be grateful for what you have. And he's talking about these villages he's working with. Was it in India? Mm.
3: India like, not, not, was it Kenya? In Ken- Kenya. Yeah, yeah. India
2: and yeah. Kenya. And he's talking about, you know, oh, they don't, you know, they're, he's sewing their bathrooms and they have to pay to use this public bathroom and be grateful because you have a bathroom in your house and all this stuff. And and he's talking about, you know, it's gratitude, this, 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 and be grateful for this. And he's, you know, these people don't have water, they don't have electricity. And there's a little kid next to Atman, and he leans over to Atman, and he says, I don't have water. I don't have any electricity. And it was like, you know, like that shock, like, wow. So we're like, you know, at the end, we're going to talk to him about it. And then so we walked up to him. We let him know. Like, hey, we want you to hear what this little guy has to say. And when he told you, you could tell the guy was so blown away. You know, he couldn't believe that that was happening here, that he's going everywhere else to deal with these issues. And that someone in, in, in America, in Baltimore, was going through that same thing. And and, and just it was so... Amazing how at times almost the trauma they're facing, it so often that it, it becomes common to them. Like they're cool with it. Like they're almost numb to what's going on around them. You know, when we would go, we took these kids, that first group of kids on a camping trip. And they're out there in the woods. And these guys are used to helicopters and gunshots and sirens. It's all they hear in their neighborhoods. And the sound of the insects freaked them out so much. You know, it was amazing. They were so like... Oh, my God, what's going on? I don't want to go out there. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, you're used to all this other, like, this, a war zone, but insects are scaring you, you know? So it's amazing what where their thinking is and what goes on and how it really numbs. One last story I can think of, it was a pre-K girl, this um, little girl, Ty J. She comes into me one day, and she's looking kind of sad, but just not, like, overwhelmingly sad. She's a little, little girl. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, yeah, my, my grandfather died the other day. He got shot in the head. And, like, said it so just, like, like the mailman came and gave me mail yesterday type of, you know, like it was just so just like, Oh, this is normal. This happens. And for this little girl to deal with it, you know, her resilience level already was so extreme because it was just like, Oh, that's just, that's normal almost. So it's amazing to see what these population, what these, 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 these communities that we're dealing with really are going through. And I think it was important for us to be aware that, Hey, this is going on and informing our staff. This is what they're going through. it, it it's never usually usually that first thing you're thinking that's really bothering their kid. There's something underneath it. You have to peel back the layers and see what it is that's really bothering them to get to that core issue so then then we can be, you know, better served them.
3: Yeah, I remember that there was one summer things got so crazy in our neighborhood. They, they implemented this thing called Operation Safe Zone that um, it was pretty crazy. Like, we never saw anything about it. We would tell our friends about it. They'd think we were lying until they came to try to come visit us. They never reported on the news or in the newspaper. It was like they pretty much just, like, set up like a – like barricades surrounding like a three block three block radius around our neighborhood, and then like floodlights on the streets. and You had to like show ID to get in and out of the neighborhood, and like they had like okay, the blue light cameras. The blue light cameras. And they had. I remember they had the uh, the cops on golf courts, like um, golf 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 carts, golf carts, not golf courses, <laughs> golf carts, <laughs> like driving around the neighborhood, and it was just like, and that it did st- it did stop things. I remember there was a there was a point like right before that where things were like really 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 crazy. It was like. Uh, some friends came over. I uh, remember Yuck um, Cut came through and the Atman's house got shot like three times. And then like...
4: not they weren't shooting at me.
3: No, no, just mm. random horrible aim. And then it was like... um, And then there was like a bunch of murders like right within like the two block radius of where we were. And then there's just a lot of stuff going on where the cops are like, we've got to shut this down and slow this down for a little bit. It's just... And everyone was kind of <laughs> used to it. Like it what didn't even seem out of the ordinary. It's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, at least nobody's getting shot. It's just like... These things go on so much. Like Andy said, people are desensitized to it. But, I mean, inside, it, it's killing you. It's eating you up. So you, we got to do something to kind of help them, help them manage it and get through it.
4: I know a story that uh, pops up in my mind is uh, the story of uh, this guy that was, like, the head of the gang, uh, the kids gang in our neighborhood. And uh, he was a tough little kid. And um, we noticed that he would just sleep on our couch outside. And, you know, we live in, like, a dangerous neighborhood, that same neighborhood that Ali was talking about, where people get shot, houses get shot, and we have, like, those humongous, like, cat rats, like, you know, humongous rats. They know they live, Yeah, they yeah know, y'all they in New know. York, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, and this dude would sleep on our couch and we would try to figure out man why are you sleeping on our couch on why the porch. don't you yeah the on, the porch outside on the porch though with the rats you know crawling across our porch and all that stuff and you know uh one, of the, one day he came up to me and was like hey my mom's sick do you think you can come over and uh you know help help her out you know i know you know some stuff so you know i took over some like uh vitamins and some tea and you know some oils and stuff like that and as i'm walking into his house it's like you know it looks like a horror movie it's like It's like maybe like 10 gang members selling drugs right on his steps. So he doesn't want to walk past that because they pick on him. Uh, And he goes into his house and his mom is like screaming in pain with like maybe like 20 different meds on her prescriptions on her counter. And like it's just look like hell, honestly. And this is what these kids are facing on the day to day. So this same kid, you know, he had a lot of anger inside of him along with a lot of his crew. But one thing that I've seen that kind of uh, aided in, I guess, um, processing all the stuff that's going on in their lives and, you know, uh, help them get past it is the breath and is the meditation and is the yoga. Uh, It's a lot of the guys that, you know, should be out there, like selling drugs or, you know, in gangs and stuff like that, they're working for us now and inspiring their friends in jail, you know, so... Yeah, they're dealing with the trauma, but, you know, there are ways as long as, you know, I don't know. There, there are ways to heal that trauma, even though it's like really once you get these skills of yoga and mindfulness, it's like basically being able to uh, maintain your peace amongst the chaos. And that's what we try to do, honestly. It's try not, we don't try to bring people to peace. We try to show them how to attain their own peace in, inside of them. Because my,
1: my fundamental question, you know, is about love. Because I know one can hear stories like that and you just feel so much outrage. And I know, you know, when I write about love or I teach about love, you know, past and future, since I have the book on love, um, you know, and I think it's it's not just in those schools that compassion's not cool. You know, I think that there's a kind of message that love is a little sentimental or weak or you know, how is love going to figure in changing this scenario you talk about? Because I think so many people equate love with just being nice or giving in or, you know, not, not having strength. And and that's what, part of the reason I was looking for that particular video on your site yeah. uh, and couldn't find it. You know, because I wanted to show it to my friend it, for, for that very question, you know, like. Well, you can talk about the video I was looking for and what you did and what you believe about the power of love. Yeah.
2: So um, after the uh, the riots that went went down in our neighborhood, um, we were we actually weren't there. We weren't in Baltimore. We were on a writing retreat. It was amazing. We um we didn't get anything done during the writing retreat because of the riots, actually. um So as we get there, we're probably like an hour and a half away from Baltimore, and, and someone calls us like, hey, you see what's going on in Baltimore? Like, no, we look on TV, and it's... In our na- it's like our neighborhood. And we're like, oh, my God, this is crazy what's going on. And we're just glued to the computers just like this is unreal. So we wanted to do something. We wanted to make sure that, you know, that we showed the community in Baltimore and, and really the world, you know, that, hey, that, you know, we're a resilient city, resilient people, and and that there are good people. Because there was a lot of negativity coming from a lot of that stuff. That, oh, look at all these thugs in Baltimore doing all this stuff. and and, um, and the people in the neighborhood didn't feel that way, you know. Like the next morning everyone woke up. 8 in the morning, 6.30 even in the morning, and started, we're cleaning. And, like, this isn't us, you know. This is just a small group. They're overwhelmed. They've been, they've been, you know, they've been basically just throwing everything against them. And it was time for them to be like, we can't handle this anymore. So we thought it would be a good idea to do a, a community meditation. Yeah,
4: because it was so much friction in Baltimore from everyone. And the only thing that kind of, like, uh, alleviate that friction is love, you know. And we wanted to make sure
2: we brought, you know, from everywhere in Baltimore—not just from in our neighborhood, but from all the communities. So we just we we kind of just rallied and got on social media and all the people we knew. We told everyone to come together and and to meet in the field right there. That um, the field that we did our meditation, and you can see the, basically the path, the destruction that they walked all around and did. And and we basically just let people know, hey, you know that that you know all of us together um and spreading the love and spreading the compassion is what can make a difference and it's something that we preach a lot when we teach our classes we always are talking about love and and that concept of it not being like the Ali always has a great story of um when we're in and we teach we do we do like love talks when we go like that residency program we'll go into a school and that day every one of us all we talk about is love and we'll we'll start off and it'll be little kids and say so what do y'all think about love and the Natural responses, all the kids are like, Ew, right? <laughs> and we're like we're like, hold on, wait one second. We're like, Well what about your mother? Do you love your mother or your father? And they're like, Yes. We're like, what do you love your teacher? And I'm like, yes. Well well, you know, like how do you feel when someone says I love you like that too. And all the kids will be like, you know, I feel great. I feel wonderful. So we're like, so we don't get it. So why, when we said love, did all of you go, ew, you know, if anything, you should be happy. Like, oh, that feels great. So we had that conversation with them and we, and we tell them about how important it is and how it makes them feel. and, And we make them say, I love you to somebody in the room. And most of the times or say. Say I love this person, and a lot of times they'll say their teacher. One student will say, I love Mrs. Such-and-Such. And, such. and then the teacher's just beaming, like, oh. And we're like, look what you just did there. You see that? And all the kids you know, oh, that feels great. So I remember um, uh, one year we did that in Madison, and one of the teachers came up to me. She's like, oh, my God, i got to tell you this story. She's like, the gym teacher came up to me today, and said he's, he's really nervous. He's like, I have this issue. This little third-grade girl came up to me today, and she told me that she loves me. <laughs> He's like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to say to her, you know? And she's like, oh, no, the, the Baltimore boys are here, man. And they had their love talk today. They're, everyone's saying, I love you. Listen, you know, so everyone in the school is walking around saying, I love you to everyone. I love you, I love you, I love you, because we're telling And that's when he's like, oh, I didn't know. He thought this little lady was hitting on him and stuff. So, um, I mean, it's something that we've always, always used in our practices when we go and we're teaching all the time. It's something that we've always it's funny because when it first happens, especially in the neighborhood we're living in, it's, like, really shocking to people. They'll look at us like... Like, the first day of them coming out of the school program and it'll be a new parent and they bring their kid in and they come to pick up their kid, like, all right, see you later, I love you. And the lady looked at me like, who the hell are you? I don't even know you. What do you mean you love me? And then it's like, she doesn't say anything. The next day, all right, love you, see you later. And then, like, two weeks later, she's like, love you too. <laughs> and it just starts spreading, you know what I mean? I think that we... Um, we always just bring that love vibe with us, kind of. You know, we're, we're big lovers. We're always saying I love you to the kids, to the adults, to everyone. We're letting them know. We always say love is the most powerful force in the universe, and, you know, we love you all, and, and we see ourselves in you, so let's work together to bring the love everywhere. We call it, like, love zombies, that we're trying to create these love zombies we're infecting each other with the love <laughs> so that if you infect one person with it, then they'll go out and they'll infect more people, and the love will kind of just spread throughout the world. And it's, it's powerful. I mean, it really is unbelievable how... We'll have kids that were the toughest gangster kids in the neighborhood. When they get off their phone and they're surrounded by all their homies, and it, and all of them are looking at them like, you, you know, if you say I love you, you're gonna be soft type stuff. And they get off the phone and be like, all right, guys, I love you, and i will hang. On. And if they don't, he'll pick the phone back up and call us. And be like, hey man, I forgot to tell you, I love you. And all of us are like that. Our stuff. So I think it really does start infecting people, and they start feeling it in our community in particular, where when we started people would look at me like I was either a, a someone coming to get some drugs or a police officer because I kind of stick out in the neighborhood with my, my skin tone. Um, and now it's like I walk in the neighborhood and people are waving like, I love you, hey, uh, you teach me how to meditate, and all this. It's amazing. And this is that same neighborhood where all that drama was going in, but it really is that sense of community is growing. And I think the love is a ginormous part of it. I mean, it's huge. I always say to people, I don't have any children like, of my own, But on Father's Day, I get tons of text messages from the mothers saying, hey, happy Father's Day. I love you. Thank you for what you do for my children. Because they know that we're there for them and that we bring that love feeling all the time. And it's funny how it really does affect Because you start seeing them say I love you to you all the time. And it's the same lady that will be like, who the hell are you at first? And now she's like, I love you. See you later, Mr. Andy. So it's powerful. I mean, it's something we have always, always do. And people now, it's funny because... I think at times we just didn't even know that we were doing it. We just were caring and we wanted to help and we wanted everyone to kind of experience what we were experiencing and the love I think just came along with it. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things we do is we teach the kids to love
3: themselves. Cuz like you're not going to get a kid to care about anyone in their neighborhood or in their family if they don't love themselves first. So I think that's where we start is getting them to love themselves. Like first showing them as much love as we can. Um in some places we not, may not be able to tell the kids I love you, but we can model love and we can show them that we care about them, and then they start to, like, well, maybe I am worth something, maybe I need to take a deeper look at this. And then once they start to love themselves, like, then they can start to care about their family and their community and their friends, and you start to see them to be more empathetic and compassionate. So um, it, it always starts with, with yourself. Like, you got to love yourself first, and then you can move outward from there. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we've seen the changes in our community that we've seen is that, like, we were in the elementary school, so we're affecting all the kids in the community. And then they're going home, and they're, they're acting differently towards each other. They're acting differently towards their family, towards their friends. And as they get older, they're starting to care, you know what I mean? Not just about themselves and for the community. So they're going out, and they're making changes with us or without us. They're going out, and they're helping people. They're going out, and they're volunteering. They're going out. And they're doing more with their lives so they can come back. That we've got a, a brother and sister in our after school that were to start off an after school program. Um and one they both got college scholarships. Uh one's a pre med pre dentistry, pre dentistry. Uh, I don't know what Kareem's doing, but he's Traveling one of the smartest the people I've ever met in my entire life. Been with. to
4: India before us.
3: Yeah, right. And he's and the only thing they want to do is come back and help us. They're Like, we can't wait till we graduate from college so we can come back and do what you did for us for other people. And I think it's a lot of our other students, too. The, the ones that were, that Andy was talking about in that group of 20 at first that are like 24, mostly about well, 24 now. But, I mean, we've got. They've graduated from college. They could go out and get real jobs, but I mean, I guess they kind of do have real jobs, but <laughs> real, real jobs. They could go out and get. And it's um, funny how
2: we even say we don't have real jobs. Yeah, so, uh, huh? I still don't feel
3: like it's work, but it's all good. I don't um, have a no real job either. Uh, <laughs> you know, these are for real job, but it's like they want to come back and they want to help. Like they, they saw what we did for them and they want to do it for others. So that that love zombie thing that Andy was talking about is happening. Like people are starts with it starting with themselves and like whatever, and then they, they just want to do it for other people because, like, they don't want to see other people not loving themselves and suffering and sad and angry and all these negative things or all these other things. But they want to see people loving themselves and loving each other and building each other
4: up, and, and it's starting to happen, which is cool. And to build off of that, like, love is infectious thing, like, I know when we first moved back into our neighborhood, uh, it was really like the Wild West, like, you really couldn't really look anyone in the eyes, and if you did, you better have a gun on you. Uh, It was more like a survival of the fittest type area uh, where people didn't worry about their neighbors at all. Uh, And like Ali was telling you, all that kind of broke our heart because like it was a serious community when we lived around there. Uh, And one thing that we always say is that, you know, the reason why people in uh, in the inner city call their neighborhoods hoods and not neighborhoods because there's no neighbors in there. You know what I mean? And I know one thing that we did is uh, we started like getting all the kids that were just uh, bringing down the property value and getting them. That, that's our second group of kids. We got them to help us uh, build a, a park uh, in, an, a, in an abandoned park, and we turned it into like a like we put grills back there, painted a mural, raised bed garden. We did community cleanups. So a lot of people in our neighborhood saw us caring about kids that weren't even ours. And, you know, one thing that we noticed is that it made other parents start stepping up and start caring for other people's kids. And, you know, and it's like Ali was saying and Andy was saying, like, we can actually physically see the change in our neighborhood. Like when, like like Andy was saying, like when I walk my dogs in the community, people ask me like, hey, yo, can meditations help me stop smoking these cigarettes? Or, you know, just the conversation is changing, not because of us, but, you know, I think it's because of the whole reciprocal teaching model and the kids are able to take the practice home. And, yeah, love.
1: Oh. Yeah, you want to stand up and show the T-shirt? Oh, yeah.
4: <laughs> this is uh, our T-shirt. Uh, we're selling it online as a fundraiser right now. Uh, you all can get with Andy uh, for the information if you all interested.
1: It's so cool. I saw it a lot on the site. So maybe we can turn this over to you, and then if there's time, maybe we can be led in some breath meditation or something like that. For sure to close the evening yeah i don't think we have a microphone for you so i think you're gonna to have to speak
5: i'm sure there's a lot of uh, strong churches in your, in your neighborhood uh, uh, you know, with, which have um, important roles in, in the community How, how's your rapport been with the established churches
1: can you all hear the question or do we need to repeat it you want to repeat the question I
5: love you, love you
1: too you. they gotta go bye
4: they asked if uh we have a relationship with the uh big churches in our community uh honestly, they do have like some of those like uh you know like mega churches in our community uh but it's for people not from our community you know like people honestly will come into our community and with their nice cars and stuff like that, and then right across the street from our church, it's like boarded up house after boarded up house after boarded up house drug market here you know so I mean. We've done we've done programs uh, with churches and we have great rapport and partnerships with them. But the one, the main one in our community, uh, to me, it doesn't really it, yeah, yeah it doesn't, really, <laughs> doesn't really serve the community.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, I guess in in the community that we live in and most of our or I guess where um, our after school program is housed, there are some. Smaller? No, I guess the smaller oh, yeah. ones have kind of shut down. Like, the big church is kind of taken over. Like, it's like the church in the neighborhood, so it's just... There's a there's a, there's a bowling alley in the church. Yeah, it's big. It's big. It's like a full square. There's a bank machine in the church. City block, yeah. So it's like, um, yeah, they don't... It's it's Like Otman said, like, you on Sunday mornings, and uh, you'll see all the nice cars parked up and down on either side of the street in the neighborhood, and then they roll out, and I feel like that's... I mean, they do donate space to the school for graduation. I know we had the... Mm-hmm elementary school's graduation there, but I don't I don't know of any specific yeah. partnerships with We'd love community. to be
2: more involved. When we first got started, that was uh, one of the areas that when we were first getting in, we would do after-school programs, community centers, and there'd be small classes in some of the more, like you said, the smaller churches. But now that one church in our neighborhood has really taken over, so it's not really, I can't even think of, besides some of the people that just, it's kind of like a hustle they do in Baltimore too, where if you, um, if you, if you have a church in your house, then you get certain tax breaks. So a lot of people just do this, like, front-door churches. But it's not really a church, you know? <laughs> they just do
4: it for the tax write-off.
2: It's amazing, yeah. So um, we would like to get much more involved in it, you know?
4: Um, we And they ahead. do feed the community and stuff like that. So, you know, I, mean, I don't mean to say the negative stuff about them, but it's just, you know, real stuff. Like, you know, they don't really... They, they support the community with the food initiatives, but I think with the cars that they're driving, they could, you know... Invest a little more.
5: <laughs> Hi. Uh, so do you come to New York, and when are you coming to New York, and are you training other people, and how can I get involved? I loved what you had to say. I was a teacher for thirty years, uh, 20 years in social worker
0: in New York State public schools.
4: Well, we'll be at Omega for training. Uh, well, actually, this Sunday, I mean, this uh, to Friday, we'll uh, be at the Garrison Institute. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted to come up there for that it's gonna be a great time for, for tomorrow, caregivers <laughs> yes but if you can't make that one uh we're doing another one at uh the omega institute in new york upstate new york yeah
3: i mean we're always looking when to we tra-
4: do yeah travel
3: and do more programs we do this um program uh it's we call it like a residency and training program where we'll go into to a school and we'll kind of um get we're good at getting kids and people excited about the practice because one thing our teacher always told us is that you got to make it fun so we make sure our classes are laughing and having a good time while they're learning the practice so we'll go into a school we'll start usually start at a school and then we'll find 18 to 24 year olds in the neighborhood of the school and train them to be able to do the practice so that we can kind of get it get things started and then have it rolling and let them take it over um we did it down in charlottesville virginia um and the the kids that we trained won an award for the outstanding Outstanding new health and wellness program at the Boys and Girls Clubs in Virginia. Um we 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 did it with a group from uh where's uh Fred from in New Jersey? Um uh Right outside of Newark in New Jersey. Um so I mean we're we're always looking to and we oh, love we love traveling and meeting new people, so we're we're down to have you ever
6: been
3: have
6: you ever come to a New York
2: City school? No. <laughs> uh, <Thank you>. please. <laughs> Cards. Yes. Do you
5: let people come to
2: oh yeah you could you pass them behind
5: you <laughs>
4: All right. We'll yeah, sure. I get, I, the kids yeah, in do. our programs love visitors. We'll get them at the end. Yeah, we'll get them out. You may leave the program with like some cornrows or something, but yeah. as long as you're cool with that, you're good. But we love to come. We we we, we do that often.
2: We come in and we can do trainings for the staff. Um, you know, our goal is always, people always say we have a really bad business model because we go places and we train people and they don't need us anymore. And we're like, well, that's kind of the goal here is we don't want you to have to keep calling us back. So we'll come any and everywhere, just call us and we'll try to work something out and make something happen. Yeah.
6: Thank you. I'm curious about your two things, the continuation of your own individual practices and how you have time for that, and if that's a priority for you. And then also, I am in the school um, up in the Bronx, and I'm a white girl, and I don't speak Spanish, and most of my kids do speak Spanish, and you know, I have 15 boys and three girls, and I'm teaching an after-school program, and it's been one of my greatest uh, challenges and triumphs.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: What teach? I teach leadership. And so it's really about them. It's an after school program. It's really about them, um, you know, thinking how they can get more involved in their own life. So, and I've been wanting so much recently to just tell them that I love them. Mm-hmm. Because I do. Yeah. But the challenge is um, they sort of expect them to misbehave, right? And they, in engaging them, they do things like put their hoodies up, and, and then like, cover their whole face, and then put their head on the desk, and, and sometimes some of the kids have special needs, some of the kids don't, and it's, it's just, like I found out that my translator was actually punishing them, and then I was like, can I get in on that conversation? You know, so, like, what's this gym time, that he's not getting gym time anymore, so it's been, I think the biggest challenge has been that I don't speak Spanish. I didn't realize that they were all Spanish speakers primarily, but I just adore them. And engaging them, and I love that you said um, you make it fun. You know, I do my best, but uh, I can't tell if I'm reaching them.
2: I'm sure you are, so kudos on your work. It's great to hear the work you're doing. Keep at it. You you definitely are impacting them, I would say. And, and um, just um, for your questions, um, I know all of us, we'd probably be crazy if we don't still meditate every single day. I don't want to speak for them, but we definitely, you know, we don't, I know I personally don't get um, as much mat work in, you know, the physical exercises and postures and poses. But I make sure I meditate at least once a day. Um, shoot for 15 minutes each time. But I say on average 10 minutes. I'm not going to lie and say that I get 15 in every single day. Um, um, and then our, our personal practice is a little different as well um, than we teach kids. So we can't do mantras in schools. Um, and I know as part of my practice. I do mantras throughout the day, all day long. Um, and then, um, breathing techniques that we do too, whether I'm sitting in a chair or in line somewhere, I make sure if I do notice that I'm not being in that present moment or my mind's wandering again, there's certain practices that we do. So, um, I mean, that's the gist of my practice. I'm sure there's, a
3: yeah, um, I know as far, I, I feel like, uh, one of the funny things is our, our current staff now, we've been having a lot of trouble with our staff kind of burning themselves out and getting overwhelmed <laughs> and frustrated with the work. And, um, the first thing we always asked them was like, when was the last time you meditated? You know what I mean? Like, and they were like, um uh, I'm like, yeah, so you, the reason that i and Andy and I were able to handle like 65, 70 kids with the three of us is we had our own deep personal practice. Like we were like, we centered ourselves and went deep early in the day. And then at the end of the day, so it's just like, it, it does make a difference. And they were constantly, they were getting frustrated. They were getting angry. They were kind of doubting themselves. They were kind of, some of them, some of them quit. You know what I mean? Like they couldn't, they couldn't really take it anymore. And we were like, well, you guys are going to be like, Like, because the teacher turnover in Baltimore is some ridiculously high percentage, but we're like, you guys are going to be just like the teachers in Baltimore City, because they don't don't have a personal practice, and the only thing that's going to keep you going is your personal practice, and like, we got to, I feel like we wear a lot of different hats during the day, whether it's our jobs administratively, or dealing with like kids in the neighborhood that may have to come live with us, I mean, we've all had kids live with us from time to time that, that need a little more support, or going out and teaching, or Putting out like there's just a lot going on where, like we'll we'll start our meetings with the meditation. Like uh, when if we have a, a meeting in our conference in our conference room, we'll sit and we'll, we'll meditate with the people. Or I know days when things are kind of going crazy. I know I'll stop and like our outreach director uses our conference room, and I'm like, all right, I need you, I need your office get out of here, and I'll put them out and I'll sit and I'll meditate, and then I'll come back out. I'm like, okay, now I can deal with all this.
2: So yeah. And to build on um, um what you were saying about. You know, you're like, I'm a white lady in the Latino community, kind of, and, you know, um, I think a lot of that is just being, just be yourself. You know, one of our best volunteers, we always talk about it, is this girl, Brenda, super bubbly, really blonde, crinkly hair, and like, when she, like, she talked like, she talked like this, like, a lot like, like, like was her other, every other word like but she was herself you know she didn't change she didn't come in and try to be tough be like i'm from the city nah, nah she was herself and the kids ate her up they loved her She was one of her best volunteers and we get that often you know and we actually board her on the workforce also yeah she was so awesome and we get it often you know i look like this how am i going to be able to go into those communities you know but i think it's it's two parts and it's both with what you're saying it's have your practice you know be what you're be what you're telling people, or showing people, and reminding people to do, because they're going to feel the authenticity and the genuineness of you, and that you are in that calm That's why we don't burn out like some of our staff does, because we do have our own practice. And then just be yourself, and let them know that, hey, I'm here for you, and I love you. You know, it's hard, you know, especially in the schools to say that. Sometimes I had uh, we were just in San Francisco Wisdom 2.0, and there was a, a doctor that came up to me. She said, you know, last year. The thing that I took the most out of this conference was you told me to say I love you to the kids I was working with. She's like, and I never did that. She said, I did that this year. And she said, it was amazing the impact that it had because they care. They don't, they don't, it doesn't happen. you know, their parents don't say it enough to them. So for anyone to say it and then for you to be there every day for them and then you're genuine with your practice. So you're going through it. So when they look at you, they're like, well, I'm not just doing this because someone's telling me to do it. I'm doing it because she says that she's done it and it's impacted her in this way. And I want to try to feel that. I want to be the, we always say, be a scientist when we tell, you know, everything I could be telling you could be a lie. Do, you know, do the technique yourself and see what it does for you to experience it. So I think you just, you know, having your practice and making sure that you can deal with all this external bombardment of craziness that's all around us all the time. And then just being yourself, I think it's going to go great. And if you want, hit me up and I, we can do some Spanish lessons too.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, I keep. I yeah. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes, you.
0: Yeah. Um, hi, I'm so grateful for what you do. Um, I have a question, and you touched on it just now a little bit about um, people who, and you're going to, it sounds like this weekend doing a retreat on people who care, and people who work with maybe young people, or I don't know what exactly what your population is. Um, I spent a lot of time working with after-school teachers who teach in a variety of different kinds of settings and with all the different kinds of young people, and my role in large part is to find ways for them to build up themselves and to not get burned out and to make connections with each other. And there is a lot of um, some days it feels like sometimes it's working really well and those bridges are being built. and other times there's a lot of fear and hesitation to have those kinds of the kinds of trust and conversations that people need to have. And someone recently came up to me and said, you know, we need to talk about some of this really difficult stuff around race and sexuality and gender issues with ourselves because we need to be able to feel more compassion and trust with each other in order to be better youth workers with our young people. Yeah. And I wondered if you had anything specific that, other than yes, you need to build up your own personal practice. And we're—I'm up in Cambridge, in Boston, and we're doing—we're in. We are great. At increasingly doing more mindfulness strategies up there, and it, and it's working, but it's slow, and we don't have anybody like you who just does it and loves it, and it's like all over everywhere. So there are little bits and pieces that are happening, but I, you know, I I meet with this one group every month, and I will bring your story back to them, and they will love it. But how, how to get them to to. And maybe the maybe the research piece is part of it too, like to encourage people to be doing their own research. But if you had anything else specific that you know works with the adults who work with the kids,
3: I know some of the things that work with our staff are like retreat, like getting them all away from their normal environment and getting them outside of their comfort zone and doing something with them. Um, like we're like we literally bought camping equipment with our graduation money, so we we spend our time out, so we'll drag them out with us. Um, and they, it's not something they're used to. Most of them don't like it. But I mean, when you're stuck and you have to eat your meals together and you have to talk to each other and like, there's no TV or you got to like, I remember we did our workforce development retreat, like you had to hike half a mile uphill to use your cell phone. So you really had to want to use your cell phone. So you were sitting there and you were talking, we, we cooked and ate all our meals together and it was a great team building experience. People would made have, like, they they had known each other, but they may not have, liked or loved each other like you're gonna start to get along because you're dependent upon each person to do a certain thing to kind of and it, and it built our team up really really well and we went into that school year really strong so I mean just getting them all together I mean even like um, happy hour with our staff you know what I mean just something to kind of get them to start enjoying each other's company because the more that they can feel they can depend on each other I feel like the better our programs are because you know that person's got your back no matter what's going on and you know what they know, their responsibilities, and it works, like a, it works like a team instead of a bunch of individuals kind of trying to do their own thing. So those are the things that work for
2: us. Yeah, so I would say experiencing it, you know. Like I said, you take them on a retreat so they can feel it or just give them the techniques. You know, I don't know how often we'll go into a professional development day. It's filled with all these teachers. Sixty percent are probably all doubters, like, what are they doing here? They're wasting my time. And then we just lead them through a deep breath, and they open their eyes, and they're like part of my language but they're like holy shit this feels so good that's what they look like when they're looking at me like oh my god this is crazy and I'm like yeah you just took 10 deep breaths like it's pretty amazing right and they're like wow can we do this more you know so that, that I think a large portion is experiencing it and, and do it with the practice or just that way of living like I said in the woods with nature and love and vegetarian meals and all that type of stuff and then a lot of people that won't work for them at all that's where you do the data that's where the research and the studies mm-hmm. and the, hey, this is going on. You know that, the, you know, there's studies of, they have guys meditating and they're studying their brains and it's showing that it's increasing this and that and the prefrontal cortex is bigger and do all the jargon with the amygdala shrinking and all that type of, you know, like. Telomeres growing back yeah, and, and, and all that. Yeah, and do good. all the scientific <laughs> stuff, you know, because that's the stuff. Some people really eat that up. I remember there'd be times where we'd go, we'd give our whole spiel, I could have the entire community behind me chanting this is amazing and they'd be like nah, we don't want the program and then i was like well you know we did a study with hopkins and penn state and they're like oh really sure we'll bring you in on tuesday you know so <laughs> it really depends but I, those are the two things that we've noticed the most is get them to experience it or give them that data and that scientific backing and usually that'll get them to get the buy-in and then they'll keep going with it yeah thank you hi um i have i have a, a couple of questions do you
5: Work primarily with the elementary age kids, um, or do you have programs for uh, middle school and high school mm-hmm. students? And um, so, my first question is in connection with that. My daughter is in is in a one of the you would call it an elite school here in the city, and um, she needs yoga and mindfulness, um, you know, a lot. She's very stressed. Um, and yet in their, in their yoga class, that she does take, um, she comes home and she says, mom, we don't even do down dog. I mean, we do, we do the puppy down dog. It's so baby mom. It's so silly. And she considers it a waste of time, you know, and, um, and I don't think they, they moved into a meditation practice. Um, they talk about mindfulness all the time to the point where she's sick of and so, they, you know, in, in that community, it's really kind of turned the kids away. And I was wondering if you do deal with that age group, um, how do you engage them um, in a way that maybe is a little different from what I just described? Like, um, how old is she? She's 15. She's in ninth grade. Um, and, and then my second question is very different. It's about the language that you use in the trauma environments. So I'm working with a population that's, that's in a very high trauma um, filled with a lot of trauma and um, I'm reading David Emerson's new book right now and I, I um, am coming at it just from the yoga background, not the uh, social work background. And, and I know the language that you use and the poses are so important, it's kind of like two ends of, one spe- of the spectrum, you know, you have the kids in the school who need it, but they're complaining that it's not enough. And then you have the trauma victims who maybe, you know, they just, they don't want to be pushed. You know, so anyway, I was just curious to get your thoughts on how you deal with the trauma group a little more specifically than than what you were saying earlier, and then
4: the kids, you know, who are teens. I know uh one thing that we do with the kids uh that deal with a lot of trauma, um, uh like you said, language, uh like Andy was saying earlier, we don't tell them to close their eyes, we invite them or welcome them to close their eyes. Um also in meditation uh we try to do guided meditations just because if there's a a lot of space in there stuff comes up uh so we just try to kind of like guide them the whole time they're in meditation
3: um and we work with uh kids k through 12 uh so and the programs look a lot different depending upon the age group um so like our after school program looks different than our middle school program looks different than the high school programs that we do i think a lot of the ways dude. um we sell the practice to kids no matter what age. We make it really practical for what their experience is and what's going on in their lives. So, like, it's the same basic practices that we're teaching, but we're selling them to the kids a little differently. So if we were at um, Patterson High School, which is a school that was known for pretty much riots and fights, like, we're selling the, we're selling the practice to kids one way there, and then we're, we're at a uh, friend school where Atman and I graduated from. We were teaching. We did the senior seminar the freshman seminar. We did assemblies for the entire school, the entire upper school, and they like they 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 talk about mindfulness. They have a social worker that does mindfulness with them. They have yoga classes available at the school.
4: Meeting for worship every single meeting day. meeting for worship
3: every single day. And the the administrators were surprised at how much we got the kids to buy in. It was because we were talking to them about things that were going on in their lives. We weren't coming from a theoretical place of, like, oh, well, let's do this pose. they like, no, what's going on in your life? And just listen to them, you know what I mean? Like, there's – you'd be surprised, but you can hear from someone if you actually just stop and listen to what's going on with them and then giving them a tool that's actually going to work and then, like, following up with them the, the week later. I'm like, hey, so I, we, we worked with this tool last week, so – and you said you were stressed out because of this. Did you try it? Yeah, so what happened? And then just, like, getting really engaged in what's going on and giving them – I think a lot of what we do with teaching – um, no matter how old the kids are, it's about empowerment, like empowering them with skills to have control over their life and inner and outer life as much as possible. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you described how you go to Madison,
2: Wisconsin, you've been doing that
0: and you go to other
3: places, Charlottesville, uh, but you've, got, you've been practicing for 20, 30 years, or however long you've been studying. You go into a, to a place where the teachers
0: don't practice at all. So, how do you how do you convey how do you
2: convey the information to a group of teachers uh, in a school? I mean, how how much time does it take for you to do the training, and you know who's going to follow up? I mean, you after you go away, it's hard for you. It's, and you're trying to export your experience.
0: Other
4: places, but it strikes me that it's, that it's very difficult. I mean, I know in uh, Madison the reason why it's so sustainable is because they have a great uh, principal and administrative staff, and uh, they check in with their teachers uh, and actually carved out time for them to actually do some uh, mindfulness in the beginning of the day. Uh, also, we left them with those prompts, and the teachers saw how the students uh, were engaged in the practice and were benefiting from the practice and more focused from the practice. So you know, it makes their job that much easier. Uh, but if the administration and the principal uh, is subpar, then, you know, the sustainability of the practice, you know, won't be there.
3: Yeah, I know one of the other things we do is we don't, when we go into a school and none of them have any experience with the practice, we won't we won't go but so deep, you know what I mean? Like we'll give them maybe one or two tools. Like we won't go in and give them like 50 different practices to do and a bunch of different meditations. We might leave them with a simple belly breath and – uh some type of centering exercise, and that might be it. But those two things, if they can learn to do those two things very well, can be very impactful for the students. And then they're going to, and as they practice them themselves, they're going to want more, and hopefully they'll look for teachers in their area. Like, we're always recommending teachers in their own area or go into a retreat or a workshop in their area or something so that they kind of get, I don't know, they experience the practice, then they want more. So we're just there to kind of wet the whistle a little bit, and then hopefully they, they delve deeper. And I think teachers are really stressed out, and overwhelmed like there's a lot going on so i think the combination of training the teachers and training the kids kind of takes some of the pressure off of the off the teachers and they can kind of let the kids also lead the practice and the cool thing about the kids leading the practice is that the teachers can stop and practice themselves too and get the benefits of it
2: and it just takes time you know it really does uh when we did our program at patterson the engagement with the teachers was was bad they didn't want there would be times that the, the announcement would be playing and the teacher would literally say don't listen to that we're going to finish doing the math and so there's an announcement of one of our voices saying everyone breathe in deep now breathe out this nice soothing and he's like no ignore that so today in algebra we're doing such such, and they would just come, and we would walk through there was one teacher in the school who we thought Hated our guts. We'd walk in. Oh, he did hate our guts. And we'd we'd be We'd be (laughs) signed into the office, and he'd just look, and he'd be talking to the teachers, and he'd
4: look at us, and just stop and just give us. And we're like, "Why does this
2: guy hate us so much?" You You
4: know, know? when like people having conversations, and then it just stops when you get around, and they just (laughs) get quiet and look at you. That it was like that, And, and and we just kept at it. You know, we just kept going, and and.
2: We never forced it upon them we just said hey you know this is going to help y'all you know we, we apologize if you think it's taken away from your teaching time but the goal here is that your students will be more focused they'll, they'll concentrate more and it'll help you while you're teaching so you're not having to say hey johnny can you can you pay attention hey you know stephanie or whatever can you pay attention whatever you know it'll help and and he's now after a year and it took a while is our number one guy he dresses different it's almost like he's like like floral colors and stuff now he was,
4: he was well on his way out to school he was like really burned out and hated his job hated his students like andy said he's a has a totally new vibe to him and it just takes time sometimes and i, I think also just seeing the
2: impact that'll happen with other classrooms so um if they're not doing it and they, and they keep saying oh we're gonna ignore this today just keep doing the work and they notice as the year passes that so and so miss johnson's class really is very going very smoothly and they're like, Why is your class going so smoothly? Like, hey, you know, those techniques are really working. Our kids are calming down. It just takes a while. So even after that first year, our buying with the staff was probably like twenty percent, thirty percent. It was bad. And we just kept going in and kept, you know, um bribing them sometimes. That's why I said we bought them too. Um we um, <laughs> we would do um professional development days, we'd go in and the first time we do a little session with them, we give them some breathing techniques, meditations, and then we were like, That's not selling them enough. So we would like buy a lot of food. People, teachers love food, free food especially. And we'd get some nice food for some salmon and some stuff like that. So they'd come like, really y'all did this for us? And we're like, yeah, you know, we're trying to work together and just building that relationship. So it took a while. And now still, it's still not 100% engagement. We come in there sometimes and still I swear some of the teachers look at us like, these guys again, goodness gracious. You know, but just time and time and building and just trying to make it that not only you're making an impact and going in and checking up on them, but then the students are doing the same thing. Just yeah.
1: So we're going to have to close. We have like one minute for meditation. I don't know. Can you stick around for a few minutes if people mm-hmm. have course, questions? Of course, for you sure. Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can come up. And I, I want to remind you about the Garrison Institute retreat. <laughs> the Garrison Institute retreat, which starts tomorrow night. It's going to be awesome. And, and we're really lucky in that there's really quite a bit of scholarship money that's been donated for this retreat. So if that is an issue um, that has you hesitating, you know, I don't know know that it all will be a problem, really. So you can talk to Jane or Chris or, you know, the, uh, John. There are people here from the Garrison Institute. So then we can continue the conversation immediately if you come. Um, so do you want to lead us in a one-minute meditation? You got one? You want to do one? You
2: want to do one? Rock, paper, scissors.
1: You want to lead us in a two-minute meditation? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Breath of loving kindness. Breath loving kindness. Which one you want to do? All right. Uh, I guess everybody can just sit.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah, like when you said, you go in and you just Third do graders. simple centering or simple breath. Overall, no
3: yep. Thank you. Uh, this one that Ottman's about to do, he does a lot. Um, just because it, like, it gives the kids the space for some calm and like some inner peace. But it also is like you'll you'll notice it's, it's very well guided all the way through. There's no like big chunks of open space in the meditation for, for anything to come up. So it's good. The kids love it. And uh, it's cool to hear the kids teach it, too, because they, they start to learn it and they start to be able to go through it. And
4: then they'll come up to the front and they'll lead their friends through, through the guided meditation. All right. Um, so if everybody could uh, sit with your back, neck, and head aligned, uh, feet grounded. And, you know, we invite you to close your eyes. And we're going to start off by doing a couple deep breaths together in and out of our nose. So everyone inhale long, slow, and deep in through your nose, filling your stomach up with air. Long, slow, deep breath. And then exhale that breath out. Push it all out. Squeeze your stomach in. Push all that air out. Inhale deep again. Long, slow, deep breath. Filling your stomach up with air. And exhale, push all that air out. Push it all out. Inhale one more time with that long, slow, deep breath, filling your stomach up with air. And exhale, push all that air out. Push it all out. Now just breathe on your own. Don't put any effort into it. Just make sure you're breathing in and out through your nose at a nice, natural pace. And now we're going to start using our imaginations. Every time we inhale, we're going to feel and see ourselves pulling all the positive energy that the earth has to offer us inside our body with that in-breath. Really feel and see that happen on that inhale. And on that exhale, push any stress, any anger, any disease, any ailments, anything that's inside your body that you don't want in there. See it leave your body with the breath. And you know, just like in life, when you meditate, you can get distracted. If you get distracted by a thought or a sound, it's cool to acknowledge a thought or sound. But remember, just be self disciplined enough to bring yourself back to the breath. And on that inhale, pulling in that positive energy from the earth. And on that exhale, push any negative energy that's inside your body that you want out. Really feel and see it leave your body with that exhale. All right, we're going to use our imaginations again. And this time, every time we inhale, we're going to feel and see ourselves pulling All the healing oxygen off the trees, plants, and bodies of water. Really feel and see it come in your body with that inhale and energize your muscles, bones, and organs. Really use your imagination to feel and see that happen. And every exhale, push all the stale carbon dioxide out of your body and feed the trees and plants that gave us oxygen. You know, once again, every inhale... Pulling in that healing oxygen, energizing your muscles, bones, and organs. Every exhale, pushing out that stale carbon dioxide. All right, we're going to use our imaginations again. And this time we're going to think about all those people that we love, whether it's our family or friends, no matter how far away they live, no matter if they're living or not, love knows no boundaries. So with every breath, send your loved one's love with that breath. All right, we're going to use our imaginations again. And this time we're going to think about all those people that stress us out or make us angry, whether it's our family or friends, co-workers, people in our neighborhood. But be the bigger person and send those people love too. We all know the law of karma, whatever whatever energy we put out there, it comes back to us. So even though they're sending us negative energy or they make us angry, Send those people back love. Because they probably need it. Alright. We're going to use our imaginations again. And this time we're going to focus on ourselves. We send love to all people, all the time, but a lot of the time we forget to send love to ourselves. So, right now, we're going to focus that breath on sending love to ourselves. All right, everyone, keep your eyes closed, and we're going to bring ourselves back to our bodies. Start wiggling your toes and your fingers. Roll your ankles and your wrists. And do a neck roll both ways just to stretch your neck out a little bit. And then you can slowly, slowly blink your eyes open and come back to your senses. All right. All right.
2: Thank you
1: so much. Thank you. Thank
2: y'all. Love y'all.
1: Thank you, Susie.